pray with me as we open up God's word? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word and and what it is to us. That it is the revelation of Jesus Christ, your intervention in history, in your intervention in your people, and your intervention in our individual lives. Lord, now as we examine this passage from Peter, we pray that you would teach us equip us, encourage us, challenge us where necessary. And and Lord, may it serve to strengthen our faith, strengthen our resolve to stand up for you in in a world that is hostile towards you. And Lord, we ask that you would be be our teacher this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but occasionally I like to watch... Um, the I, I don't want to say this word, but the show Porn Stars, P A W N Stars. Um, if it was made in Australia, it would be called con- Cash Converters Stars, right? <laughs> and I occasionally watch this show to to see um, see people come in with their collectible item, be it a piece of m- military um, memorabilia, sporting memorabilia, um, a collectible card or something like that, a teacup, yes, Jody, thank you. Um, and, and they often come in and they are expecting a great price to, to pawn this, this item. And sometimes you see people and they, they come in and they're expecting $1,000, say, and, and they've got this this thing with the certificate of authenticity attached to it. And they come in and, and, and the, the, the owner of the shop brings in his, his expert and it turns out that this thing is, this collectible item is a fake. And the certificate of authenticity is completely forged as well. And instead of getting $1,000, they might get offered $5 or nothing at all. This morning we see that, that Peter talks about an authentic faith. He talks about the genuineness of our faith. And I just want to have a bit of a look, a, a bit of a, a brief introduction into to who Peter is. He was, of course, one of, of Jesus' disciples. We see him first in, in Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, we see that Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Jesus saw a great great number of of, um, miracles while he was following Jesus, while he was his disciples. He he saw his mother-in-law be healed. He saw um, various numbers of people healed. He walked on water. He was one of Jesus' closest disciples. And yet, 
when it came to crunch time, when Jesus was being put on trial, Peter just flat out denies him. Not just once, not just twice, but three times, and to people such as servant girls and bystanders. But later on, after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter has a a change of heart, a change of character even. And he's got the courage to stand up before thousands of, of people from various different areas of the country, of the area. And he preaches the good news of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And 3,000 souls were saved on that day. What causes such a change in someone to go from being a follower of Christ for three years to being a denier of Christ and then back again to being the saver of 3,000 souls? I don't know, did Billy Graham have that sort of effect on people? Peter's certificate of authenticity comes from the fact that he saw the resurrected Christ and that changed his character in a big way. And he states this in in his letter. He says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. An eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he states right from the word go that this is my certificate of authenticity of how I am able to instruct you, exhort you in ways of Christian faith. And out of our passage this morning as we examine the charge to be born again to a living hope, we can see that Peter assures his readers that this living hope is from God. That this living hope comes with an inheritance to look forward to and that this living hope, understanding and outworking of this living hope shows our authenticity. I'll get that word down pat by the end of the day. The first thing that we see in the first three verses is this assurance from God. Peter begins his, his um, next week, I'll make the, the text a little bit bigger. He begins his letter in a typical kind of way. He starts off being the author, Peter, Just ignore the screen just for a second. <laughs> he starts off in, in, in stating that he is the author, that he, his position is an, as an apostle of Christ, and, and then he states off that his audience is those who are um, elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. And you can see from this passage on the screen now, you can look there, I assure you, um, that, that we can see that there's, there's been some, some interactions with those who Peter addresses his letter to. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter was speaking on the day of Pentecost, he was speaking to people from Pathinia, people that were Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. 
Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Do you notice that there are people from Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia mentioned in Acts chapter 2? That's just a little side note for you. Peter has had some previous spiritual interactions with his audience from some time ago. And so now he addresses his audience in this subsequent, subsequent letter as elect exiles. Considering that we've just finished a sermon series through Daniel where we've been looking at um, how the Jewish people from that time were taken to Babylon and they were there for 70 years and they were put under all sorts of trials and temptations during that time. I reckon that this, this series will follow on really well, remarkably well. And Peter addresses his audience as elect exiles. Now, out of the, the exile that, um, that happened when, when people went to Babylon, um, Daniel and, and many, of the, of many of his friends returned, but a lot of the Jewish people didn't return. And so you can see God's working through Daniel, through the biblical timeline, right up until 1 Peter, where, where God's timing and God's placing people in different areas is, is so key to, to the storyline of, uh, story of the Bible. Again, out of these first three verses, we can see something that is, is una- we are unable to get away from in the Bible. That one thing is God's divine intervention in mankind and history. God's, either, God's initiative to either choose a person for them to know him and to be born again or to not to. It's better known as election or predestination. And Peter addresses his audience as elect exiles. Elect, chosen by God. Peter doesn't add this in to start a theological you know, debate or anything like that, but he includes it to encourage his readers to know that they are chosen by God, that, that they were chosen by God since the beginning of time. An election is something that can divide congregations, theologians. There's been many a, a, a paper written on election. I think that if, if we are to claim that God is sovereign in all things, how can we also not claim that God is sovereign over who he will choose to have mercy upon and who he will not? Have a look at, and I just wanted to reiterate that election is sure, election is from the beginning of time, and election is current because of what the work of Christ. And I thought, no, I thought I'd put something else in there, but I didn't. Exodus chapter 33, we can see that 
that Moses, uh, God reveals himself to Moses and he says these words. I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Out of these first three verses, we see that Peter explains to his audience that their election is sure because of the fact that it extends from the beginning of time, that, it, that, it, that when God chose whom he would have as his people. He says that the, their election is sure because of the work of the Holy Spirit sanctifying them right now and that it is assured because of what Jesus has done and will do for us in the future. Even though it's not mentioned in the first three verses, it's mentioned in verse 5 that the, the promised return of Jesus Christ is another sign of their sure election. Friends, Christianity is not a blind faith. It's not a faith where you just chuck your t trust into something that, that is unsure. There's proof for the fact that God created the earth, that God created us. There's proof that Jesus was a man, he lived here on this earth, that he was raised from the dead, and that he will return again. Speaking personally, I'd stake my life on the fact that the Bible is true. In fact, I have. In fact, all of us have. If we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the salvation of our souls for all eternity, we have staked our lives on the fact that the Bible is true. You just don't make up this this sort of thing if you want to make a, a best-selling book. And if you were going to, to write a best-selling book, you certainly wouldn't have your main character die, would you? Assurance is something that we experience as Christians, which other religions do not have the, the, um, the, the benefit of. Many other religions have to make sure that they do prayers three times a day they do washings three times a day or however many times a day they have to make sure they do this and do this and do this in order to receive eternal life it's all been done for us folks yeah <laughs> And there are too, too many principles and themes that flow through the, the entire Bible that, that it's, it's not just, it's not been put together by human hands. There's a, a problem in our society at, fa at, at present that trust is diminished. It's either not given or it's completely deficient within relationships. The fact is that we can trust God this morning because our election is sure. 
This is what Peter is trying to illustrate this morning, that, that God has chosen you since the beginning of time. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, you are an elect exile living in a foreign land. We can trust God because of what he has done, what he is currently doing in each of our lives and what he is going to do when Jesus returns again. The second thing that we see from these pas- this passage, these five, first five verses, is that there is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. The what he is going to do, the what that God is going to do is that at the right time, Jesus will return and set everything back to good again, back to its original design. He will come and and restore this earth to its former glory. He will rule this earth with justice and righteousness and and the devil and his associates will be cast into hell for all eternity. And those who are chosen elect exiles will no longer be exiles but will be with Jesus for all eternity. That is what is being kept by God for us. An inheritance that is unfading, undefiled, and imperishable. An inheritance that can't be taken away by a global financial crisis. An inheritance that will not be destroyed by moth or rust. An inheritance that will never fade like those jeans you bought last week. An inheritance that will be as beautiful and wonderful on the first day as it will be 10,000 years into eternity. And the reason why it's imperishable, undefiled and unfading is because it's being kept by God himself. It was given by God himself and he is keeping it himself. Does that encourage each one of you? This inheritance that Peter speaks about should change our perspective on life. Like watching a a pre-recorded sporting match where you already know the, the result. Say the Broncos and the Cowboys are playing... Actually, it's the Broncos and Manly this afternoon. But you're, you already know the result because the Broncos are going to win. <laughs> Changes our perspective on the game, doesn't it? Changes the fact that we already know who wins. If we already know who wins, why do we walk around defeated? Jesus has won the victory and he is holding an inheritance for us that is imperishable, undefiled, I'm not going to use a PowerPoint next week, (laughs) and unfading. Here comes the so that. 
The third thing that we see, particularly out of verses 6 and 7, is that the sign of an authentic faith or a genuine faith is being able to trust God when times are difficult. Have a look at verses 6 and 7 with me. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that... If you write in your Bible, underline those two words. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A sign of an authentic faith, the certificate of authenticity to our faith is a faith that can stand up under trials and temptations because we know what God has done for us. And the result of that authentic faith is that it brings glory to God. It doesn't make us look great. It it brings glory to God, being able to stand up and trust Him even when life's pressures crush us. The grace of God that Peter speaks about here is is not the removal of trials, not the removal of temptation or difficulties, but it is the ability to stand up in it. Having having an authentic, authentic faith, when the world is trying its darndest to stop us being authentic, It's the greatest accomplishment any of us can make. It's the greatest glory that we can bring to God. Flick over to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. In his final greetings, Peter says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Peter is saying that this this grace that has been revealed through Jesus Christ, being able to to know that God has an, an inheritance for us, that God has made our election sure, that God is, is holding something for us, in heaven waiting he says stand firm in it stand up under it regardless of what you might be going through beekeepers Jeff and and Christine Anderson had a daughter who was allergic to bee stings that's pretty unfortunate the way that their daughter, Rachel, overcame the allergy was through a course of injections over a period of four months. But in order to maintain this immunity to bee stings, Rachel needed a a shot or a bee sting every six weeks or so. So every six weeks, instead of taking her to the doctor, like a good dad, Jeff would just catch one of his bees, make it mad, 
and cause it to sting Rachel as her mum held her down. <laughs> but it worked. When Rachel accidentally got stung in the future, it would swell a bit, but it wouldn't be as life-threatening as before. And in a world full of trials, our loving Heavenly Father doesn't shield us from all the bee stings. He doesn't hold, well, yes, he does, sometimes hold us down and sting us with a bee. But he allows us to experience difficult times for our own good. James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials and difficulties are used by God to correct us, to direct us and protect us and perfect us. And our response to these times of trials is what, what marks us as authentic Christians. If we cry out to him during these times, then it is, that is when we acknowledge our need for him. That is when we acknowledge that we need him every day. And that is when he can do his best work in us. I don't know about you, but it's, it's not until sometimes when we hit rock bottom that we realize that the way we need to look is up. Paul writes these words, 2 Corinthians 4.17, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That is the inheritance that is waiting for us, folks. A glory that is beyond all comparison. Think of the best time that you have ever had. It is beyond comparison. Think of the most money that you've had in the bank. It is beyond comparison. It's not about money. Think of the most comfortable you've ever been in your life and it is beyond comparison. Jesus says these words in John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you, have made, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In the world you will. Not you may or you might, but you will have tribulation. Trials, tribulation, difficulties, call it what you may, it is something that we are to expect. It's not something we're to go looking for, but it's, our, it's something we are to expect. Look at that promise from Jesus there. I have overcome the world. Again, this gives us a different perspective on, on life. 
gives us a different perspective on, on who has won the battle, who has won the war. The fact that Jesus has overcome should give us a different perspective. It should change our, our carnal lives where we're focusing on the right here and right now and the woe is me and the pity parties that we throw ourselves and give us an eternal perspective. It should also change our perspective on if life is going good right now. We shouldn't be too arrogant in that. But also if if my life is a, is a complete and utter shambles, it should change our perspective on that as well. Knowing the end result changes our perspective. Knowing that there is an inheritance waiting for us that is imperishable, that has been assured by God, changes our perspective helps us to have an authentic faith. The result, <clears throat> the result of a tested, genuine faith is that it brings praise and glory and honour to Jesus Christ. The result of a tested and genuine faith is that it will stand firm until Jesus comes again, regardless of what might come. I ask you this morning, have you been born again to this living hope? Because if you haven't, now is the time to work on that, to, to come before God and acknowledge your need for him as your saviour. If you have placed your faith in him, I ask you this morning, How authentic is your faith? Do you have a certificate of authenticity around your faith that allows you, enables you to stand up in times of trial? Being born again to a living hope with, which God has given us through Jesus Christ enables us to stand up under all sorts of duress, trials, tribulation, times of trouble. Being assured of the inheritance that is to come is, is a life-changing, perspective-changing moment. Being authentic even through trials shows that our Faith is genuine. Not trusting in anything that this world has to offer, but trusting in only Jesus. Peter is challenging each of us to stand firm in our faith this morning. To, to have that certif certificate of authenticity, the tested genuineness of your faith, that quality assurance, if you would like to put it that way. R.C. Sproul says these words, that in the, in the New Testament, love is more of a verb 
then and now. It has more to do with acting than feeling. The call to love is not so much a, a call to a certain state of feeling, but a quality of action. I would say that faith is a verb as well. Faith is not just a feeling that we have when we come to church on a Sunday morning. Peter says that to have faith in Jesus is to be born again to a living hope, to be sure of that living hope, and that one day all this will pass away and we'll, we will receive that inheritance that is unfading, undefiled, and imperishable. In the meantime, faith is for here and now. The doing of believing, of standing firm under, under trials and tribulation, and waiting with anticipation, with joy, for the inheritance that is to come. I challenge you this morning that, that if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, as Peter says, be born again to this living hope. challenge each one of you this morning if, if you're experiencing times of trials and tribulation if you've been doing that for 14 years or just the last two weeks trust in God trust in God and, and show to the world that your faith is authentic Trust in God because of what he has done for us. What he is doing in us. And what he will do for us. The salvation of our souls. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for Peter's letter to the, the church of elect exiles. And Lord, as Peter prayed, Peter Bissett prayed this morning that, that you have chosen each one of us to be here at this specific time, in this specific place. Lord, we thank you for your, your intervention in history. The sending of Jesus to show, uh, to, to establish those whom you will have mercy on and those whom you will not. Lord, thank you that you have shown mercy to each one of us here. And I pray that, that we would continue to place our hope in you. Lord, work in our lives. under all kinds of trials and tribulation, Lord, work in our lives, perfect us so that we may be lacking nothing. Not material blessings, Lord, but spiritual blessings. And that one day the salvation of our souls is, is to be a tangible thing. When, when the heavens roll back and Jesus returns to set everything aright again, 
Lord, we wait for an, with anticipation for that day. Lord, we pray, I pray that you would strengthen each one of our faiths, that it wouldn't just be a feeling that we feel whenever we are doing well, but that we, it, will do, it would be a feeling, it would be a, an objective action of trusting you regardless of the circumstances. Lord, for those who are struggling this morning, I pray that you would strengthen their faith. For those who are doing well, I pray that you would continue to uphold them in your hand and that they would acknowledge their, their continual need for you and, and perhaps be able to help someone else who might be struggling. Lord God, we just ask that you would continue to work in our lives and to perfect us to being more and more like the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.